Praise the Lord, Rock City Church. Praise the Lord, Rock City Church. Hallelujah. Well, amen. What a powerful time of worship. I'm so excited to be with you today. It is always an honor to stand here and preach the word of God. I love being a part of this family and I'm just grateful for all that God is doing. Can we give it up for last week's message, Sam Collier? What a powerful, powerful word, an amazing word. I also wanna just show love and honor to our pastors, Pastor Chad and Katie. Give it up. They're amazing, so grateful for them, so grateful. And I'm excited to jump back into this series, Judges and Kings, Judges and Kings. I really believe that the Lord wants to speak powerfully through this series, and we're going to continue the series today. But before we get started, before we lean into today's message, I want us to take a moment and acknowledge that there's one true righteous judge, and there's only one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want us to be encouraged before we even get into this message that every earthly king will bow on their knees and praise the true King of Kings and the true Lord of Lords, that every earthly kingdom will become the kingdom of our God. That's good news today. I said, that's good news today. So I want you to join me as we pray and we get in to this message. Heavenly Father, we, we do just that right now. We don't even wait until we get into the, the message or to the end. But Lord, in our hearts, we take a posture of bowing before you, of kneeling before you, that we would even hear this message from that posture. You are the only righteous judge, and you are the only true King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you today. We thank you. We praise you. We lift you. We extol you. We honor you. We bless you. We say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Judges and kings. Judges and kings. We're going to talk about King Asa today. We're going to be spending most of our time in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 through 16. Here's a little bit of the backstory. When you think about King Asa, you're talking about a leader who shows us the fruit of trusting and depending on God. But then in his life, he also shows us the consequences of when we do not trust and when we do not depend on the Lord. Mary E. DeMuth, she's an author and a writer for thebible.org, and she has a, a powerful commentary or article on this king's life. And we're going to be reading through that a bit today as she takes us through his journey. She says this, she says, often we start this journey called Christianity with great zeal, like metal-hungry sprinters. Fueled by our passion for God, we abandon our hearts to Jesus, longing only for his glory. Our hearts beat with wholehearted devotion to God, much like that of King Asa of Judah. We see that he even commanded Judah to seek the Lord with all of their heart, he commanded them to seek the Lord their God, the God of their fathers, and obey all of his law and all of his commandments. He began well. King Asa began well. 
And when we look at his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, we see again a great leader putting his trust and dependence on God, overcoming the enemy of Ethiopia, Zara. King Asa experienced God's rest, and from that, he led Israel into a time of peace, a time of prosperity, and a time of building. So let's pick right up in the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 2 through 8. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. I want that to be said of me in my life. How about you? Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, and he broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to observe all of his law and all of his commandments. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. I want you to pay attention to that word rest. The land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. I believe that we are in a time that that this is especially what people are seeking. Rest on every side. And we're going to see the power of that rest right here. It was from that rest, experiencing the rest of God on every side. The next part of the verse says that from that place, they built and prospered. From the place of experiencing God's rest, the rest of God had everything necessary for them to build and prosper. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears. And from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. You see, before we even get into the rest of the story, I want to point something out. It wasn't until after King Asa had experienced rest on every side that there was need to pick up a shield or a spear. You see, it was only from the rest of God that there was any purpose for him to pick up a defensive weapon or an offensive weapon. Because he understood that the battle wasn't his, but the battle belonged to the Lord. As you continue the story in 2 Chronicles 14, it says, Then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathath. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. 
So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army and they carried away very much spoil. This is our God. This is our God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when he is on our side and when he has given us rest, he will fight our battles and we will not just win, but we will walk away with very much spoil. When we see the hand of the Lord on our side, when we see the favor of God, when we see the blessing of God, the power of God go before us, he's not just looking to restore what we lost, but he's looking to add. He's looking to increase. He's looking for the overflow and the abundant to start coming from our lives. This is who he is. This is who he is. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches, the watchmen watch in vain. The battle belongs to the Lord. What are the battles that you are refusing to let the Lord fight for you? What are the battles that you are still trying to fight on your own? I'm here to tell you today that the Lord is saying, let me fight your battle. Learn from King Asa in this season of his life. Let me fight your battle. Let me go before you with my great power and my great might. God is looking for people who will trust him to lead them into his rest. God is looking for people who will trust him to be led into his rest. Not a rest that we can, can ultimately identify or that we can create on our own, but a rest that only comes from God. A rest that is not just going to manifest on the outside and the exterior reality, but a rest that is also going to become real and become alive on the inside. He's wanting us to experience an interior rest. A rest in our inner man, a rest in our thoughts, a rest in our anxieties. You see, things can be going crazy on the outside, but if I have rest on the inside, I'm going to be all right. People can be losing their minds in the world, but those of us who are part of the kingdom of God, sons and daughters of the living God, we were meant to know a rest that is not conditional upon what's going on in the world. But we were meant to experience a rest and a peace that was the result and the product of the very kingdom of God that my Bible says in Luke 17, 21 is within our very soul. A rest and a peace that is not fleeting. This is God's heart for us. He wants rest in our souls. He wants to, to experience rest from our enemies, rest from our insecurities, rest from our fears, rest from our past pain and trauma. God desires to give us rest. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me. Hear that invitation today. Come to me. Come to me all of you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It's a promise. Rest exists in a specific location, and that is the person of Jesus. He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest within your souls. It is a promise. God's rest, it unlocks grace. It unlocks grace to build, and it unlocks grace and access to God's prosperity. This is what we see in King Asa's life. When he came to the Lord, 
to fight his battle against the Ethiopian king. When he allowed the Lord to give him rest on every side, the Bible said it was after that that they built and they prospered. There's an assignment on your life. You have a call. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. There's, there's an assignment that God has called you to do. But if you think you're going to be able to accomplish that assignment apart from the rest of God, you are kidding yourself. But he says, come to him. Come to him and first know his rest. And in that, you will have the necessary grace to build whatever he's called you to build, to do whatever he has called you to do. In that, you will have access to the prosperity, to the peace, to the shalom, to the flourishing of our God and his kingdom. You see, great leaders and kings in God's eyes learn to be fully dependent on him. Greatness in the kingdom looks like great dependence. Greatness in the kingdom of our God, it looks like great dependence on God. If you want to be great in the kingdom, learn how to be greatly dependent. Asa continues this, this trajectory of dependence on the Lord. As we get into 2 Chronicles 15, the next episode, if you will, we see that King Asa started his kingly rule well, succeeding King Abijah, a man with 14 wives. Asa dis disposed even his own grandmother. You talk about great zeal for the Lord. He told his own granny to sit down who was worshiping false gods. He tore down pagan altars and sacred pillars and he removed the high places. He fortified his cities and developed a shield-bearing army of 300,000 men. And you have to have some, some passion for Jesus if you tell granny to sit down. I don't know about you, but my granny would have to be doing some pretty reckless stuff for me to have the courage to tell her to sit down. But we see that King Asa, he was so great in his zeal for the Lord that it didn't matter who it was. If they were not on the Lord's side, if they were not worshiping Yahweh, if they were not aligning themselves with his law and his commandments, he said, you got to go. These idols have to go. These false gods have to go. Anything that we are depending on that is not God himself is an idol. Anything that we are finding security in that is not God himself is an idol. And he said, Granny, you got to go. You can't be worshiping false gods and idols here. We see that King Asa, he led Israel into a time of great reform, leading the nation to recommit, to realign fully with God and to reestablish their covenant with him. Those three R's, it's time for some people to recommit, to realign, and to reestablish. Recommit realign and reestablish your trust, your dependence, your acceptance of forgiveness, your acceptance of God's mercy, reestablish your acceptance of God's love. His love is infinite. His mercy is forever, but you have to accept it. In order for it to be established in your life, you have to actually Take possession of it. 
And some of you, you've been walking this Christian faith out and you've been trying to pursue the Lord. You've been trying to pursue the assignment and the purpose and the call of God on your life. You know that he's called you to build some things. You know that he's called you to a mighty work. But you're doing it apart from his rest. You're doing it apart from that recommitted, realigned, reestablished relationship. But he says today, today you can recommit. Today you can realign. And today you can reestablish that relationship with him. And we see King Asa lead the entire nation through what this looks like. Second Chronicles 15 Verse 10, beginning, it says, So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. They took the spoil that they had won from defeating Ethiopia. And of that spoil... 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep were offered to the Lord. Let that be our motivation for deliverance. Let that be our motivation for overcoming our battles because on the other side of being delivered and on the other side of overcoming our battles, on the other side of overcoming our enemy, we'll be able to lift up an even greater offering. Let that be the motivation for our freedom. Let that be the motivation for the breakthrough that we're seeking in our lives, that on the other side of that freedom and on the other side of that breakthrough, we would be able to lift up an even greater offering. We'd be able to lift up even greater praise. We'd be able to lift up even greater worship. We'd have even greater adoration, greater devotion, and even greater love for God. That was the motivation of King Asa. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord their God, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. Whatever small, whether great, whether man or whether woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all of their heart and sought him with all of their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. So powerful. He gave them rest all around. On the other side of their breakthrough and their freedom and their deliverance, they lifted up an offering to the Lord. They recommitted. They realigned. They reestablished. They said, we'll love you, God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Reminds us of Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. The greatest law to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. You see, great leaders will always lead people to give their whole lives to God. You want to be a great leader in the kingdom? Make it your purpose that your influence, that your leadership, that the grace upon your life would always be used to lead people to give their whole lives to the Lord. That when people get around you, at your job, in your family, we got Thanksgiving coming up here in a little bit, Christmas coming up here in a little bit. As you're sitting at the dinner table, 
There should be a fragrance coming off of you. There should be a love for God coming off of you. There should be a zeal and a passion for the Lord that your family can see in your eyes when they look at you. That it's impossible for them to be around you and not have to look at what you're looking at as you gaze upon him while you're eating your turkey. As you behold him as you're eating them mashed potatoes. There should be a passion for the Lord that is upon your life that when you're on your college campus, your friends have to stop and take note. What is this about you? What is it about this Jesus that you are so passionate about? How can I know him? Great leaders will always lead people to give their whole lives to God. And I love this story out of John chapter 3, 26 through 29. I'm just going to summarize it. But what we see is John the Baptist, who had been baptizing his own disciples. We see him in a moment of transition. The one that he had been speaking of, the one that he had been Declaring was on his way, comes on the scene. Jesus Christ himself, the lamb. And John the Baptist's very own disciples, the one that he had baptized, the one that he had been teaching, the, one that, that the ones that he had been caring for, they stop following John the Baptist when Jesus comes on the scene and they start following Jesus. And there's some people around and they say to John the Baptist, doesn't this bother you? Your disciples, the one that you baptized, they're now following Jesus. And John the Baptist says, no, you don't get it. This is what I'm living for. To be the one to declare the goodness of the lamb, to be the one to declare the righteousness of the lamb. And now that he's here, this is what it was all about. They're following him now. He says, listen, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. I'm just the one that has the privilege to introduce the bridegroom to his bride. And I'm believing that there's coming a moment where this will be the desire of every great pastor, of every great evangelist, of every great leader, of every great Christian business owner, of every great man and woman of faith, no matter what position of leadership or influence you have, that it would be your goal to be able to mark the day where the people that you may have started off leading, started off letting them understand the things and the ways of God and the things and the ways of Jesus that you would know the day that they stopped following you and they started following Jesus and that you would rejoice that it would be a privilege to be the friend of the bridegroom that is simply there to introduce the bridegroom to his bride I believe we're living in that day I really do this should be the goal of every great kingdom leader seeing the people that you started to lead begin to follow Jesus for themselves. As we get into this third part, 2 Chronicles 16, I'll just tell you now, with King Asa, we, we obviously learn a lot of what we should be doing. But as in many of the leaders and many of the examples that we have in life, we don't just learn what we should do, we also oftentimes learn what we shouldn't do. Some of you are thinking of some bosses and managers right now. You're like, yep, that's Mr. Brown. <laughs> if there's any Mr. Browns in here, I'm not talking about you. 
But we learn from leaders what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We learn from leaders how we should lead and how we shouldn't lead. And so as we look at the rest of King Asa's life and story, we see that that there's some lessons to learn that we're going to want to avoid. Second Chronicles 16, King Asa changes his course and he seeks support from Syria and makes a treaty with them instead of trusting God like he did in the battle with Ethiopia. King Asa relied on the king of Syria this time instead of relying on God. At the end of his life, he becomes sick and he dies. The Lord even sent a prophet, a seer, Hanani, to rebuke Asa. He recounted the works of God, the works that God had performed on Asa's behalf. And he reprimanded him for relying on a human king instead of the strong arm of the almighty God. Then Hanani uttered his famous line, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He says, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. This is what the seer, the prophet, says to King Asa. This Hebrew phrase for a committed heart here is a covenantal term that means wholeheartedly devoted. Wholeheartedly devoted. That's what God is looking for in the earth. But King Asa, possessing a bent heart, did not listen to Hanani. And instead imprisoned him. He put the messenger, he put the prophet in prison. Asa even began oppressing his own people. Eventually he contracted a severe foot disease. But he still did not seek God. Instead he relied only on physicians. Asa did not finish well. Asa did not finish well. You see, it's not just about how we start. It's about how we finish. It's not just about how we start, but it's about how we finish. Putting our trust in anyone or anything other than God, I'm telling you, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. It is one of the main sins that we see repeated In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel put their trust for their protection, for their peace, for their provision, for their prosperity. They put their trust and their dependence in other gods. Even at the end of Asa's life, even after he got sick, the Bible tells us he did not seek the Lord even going through the pain of that disease did not soften his heart to seek the Lord. But his heart remained hard and he refused to seek God. Where Asa and other judges and other kings and other leaders, even parents, may have failed you, may have failed me, I want you to be encouraged today that our righteous judge and our king of kings, he will never fail you. He will never fail you. He will always be there. His promise is to never leave nor forsake you. 
I want us to take the lesson from King Asa's life, but I want us to be confident that even though this king failed, we have a king who will never fail. That even though this king let the nation of Israel down, we have a king who will never let us down. We have a king who's alive who went to the cross to shed his blood, his pure and spotless blood. Nails in his hands, in his feet, crown of thorns upon his head, being mocked, becoming sin, who knew no sin, to the point that when they looked upon him, as he hung on the cross, they could no longer even tell he was a human being. Why? So that you and I could come into a recommitted, realigned, reestablished relationship with our Heavenly Father, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that shame and guilt has been broken off of our lives, being free from condemnation, having the confidence of our salvation. And now we can run this race We can build. We can do all the things that God has called us to do from his rest. We can experience the prosperity that he desires for our life, the shalom, the peace, the flourishing, primarily in our interior life. We can run after whatever it is he's called us to as we advance his kingdom with confidence because we have a king who will never let us down. But maybe you are listening And you relate to King Asa. You've had a hard heart. You started off well like King Asa did. You trusted the Lord for your battle with Ethiopia. You even led others into that wholehearted recommitment like we see King Asa do in 2 Chronicles 15. But maybe there's a Syria in your life now. Maybe there's a Syria in your life. There's an enemy that that is bigger than you expected. There's a situation, a circumstance that is more than what you were anticipating. And you're tempted. You're tempted right now, instead of trusting in the Lord like you did with Ethiopia, like King Asa did with Ethiopia, you're tempted to to shift and no longer put your trust in the Lord, but to put your trust in man like King Asa did with Syria. I'm telling you, you do not have to make that decision today. But you can make the decision today to recommit, to realign, to reestablish and refuse to put your trust in anyone or anything other than your heavenly father, Jesus Christ. Psalm 9 and 10 says this, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let me read that again. And those who know your name, those who know your name, they will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He says, all you have to do is seek me. All you have to do is seek me. And I'll reveal my name to you. All you have to do is seek me. And I'll make my love known to you. All you have to do is seek me. And I'll make my power known to you. And I will prove to you that I am the God, that I am the Lord, that will not forsake. Trusting God is meant to be a lifestyle, not a one-time event. Trusting God is meant to be a lifestyle and not a one-time event. Past dependence on God, like we see with King Asa. Past dependence on God, like we see with King Asa in Ethiopia, it can never replace 
present dependence on God. Past dependence on God cannot, will not, it will never replace present right now in real time dependence on your Lord and Savior. I believe some of you even right now are making the choice to depend on him again. I believe that some of you right now are making the choice to trust in him again. I believe some of you right now, you are being tempted to go to the right, to go to the left, to start putting your trust in other areas. And right now, I can just even feel it in my spirit. Some of you right now, you're making the decision. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to see that the Lord is faithful. I'm going to see that the Lord is trustworthy, that he is worthy of trust. I am going to see that he is the rock upon which I stand, that he alone is stable and a sure foundation. Psalm 24, three through five says this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? That's what this is all about. I wanna be in his presence. Who may come and be before the Lord on his holy hill, living out of that eternal rest, living from that place of knowing the peace and knowing the confidence Knowing the love, knowing the belovedness that we have in Christ, the the hill of the Lord. Who may stand in his holy place? Who may live perpetually out of that place of communion with the holiness of the Lord? He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. He who has not sworn deceitfully by an idol. He or she who has not put their trust in any other gods. That word pure, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, it means to be clear, sincere, clean and empty. Empty of what? Empty of self-protection. Empty of self-preservation. Empty of self-righteousness. Empty. Empty of any idolatry. Empty of putting our trust and our faith and our belief and our hope in anything or anyone other than the Lord himself. And when we step into that posture of being empty, being pure, it's only possible to do through the blood and resurrection of Jesus. He's the one that makes us clean. He's the one that makes us pure. He's the one that forgives our sins. He's the one that gives us access to the holy hill. He's the one that gives us access to come into the presence of a holy, righteous, perfect God because he spilled his holy, righteous, and perfect blood and he resurrected on the third day. He's the one that allows us to lift up clean hands. He's the one that gives us the confidence, the courage to turn away from whatever else we were putting our trust and our hope in and turn to the Lord. Today I encourage you to commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. You fill in the it. What's your it? It doesn't change the invitation. Whatever your it is, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. Whatever it is, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Be still today and know that he is the Lord. Be still 
and know that he is the Lord, that he will truly be exalted among the nations, that he will be exalted in the earth. I don't care what's going on right now. I know the end of the story. He will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth. Every eye will see that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. We can't do it without him. We need him. Jesus makes that abundantly clear when he says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to be a great leader, if you want to do great things for God, grow in your neediness of him. Great leaders, they never stop acknowledging their need of God. Bad leaders will depend on themselves. The Lord is calling upon hearts today. And he's wanting you to know that he will never stop being our support. He never stops being our strength. He never stops being our source for rest, for peace. He never stops being available and accessible for whatever it is that we need. He never stops being our Savior. Hear that today. He'll never stop being your support. He'll never stop being your strength. He'll never stop being your source. And he'll never stop being your Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, we hear you calling today. We hear you inviting us to continue the path of dependence and trust upon you. And right now, I'm believing that there's so many people that are about to make that choice to trust you for the first time. Holy Spirit, would you draw them? Would you give them the courage to make this step, to call upon the name of Jesus, to call upon you to be their Lord and Savior, to put their trust in you, to ask you to forgive their sins, to bring them into the confidence that through your blood and resurrection that they have been given the power to become sons and daughters of the living God. If that's you today, just pray. Pray that simple prayer in your own words right there. This is between you and Jesus. Call upon him. Invite him into your heart. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. Wholehearted devotion. He says, I'm looking for those who will lift their whole heart to me and I will show myself mighty. I will show myself strong. I will show myself to be the all-powerful, all-loving God. Favor and blessing. Peace. Rest. We need it now more than ever, Lord. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.